welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're welcoming back Eduardo Bereth from Pencil First Games. Eduardo is a game designer, developer, publisher, and the host of the popular YouTube channel, Gaming with Edo. His current game, Mole Peak, is currently on Kickstarter. Edo, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having having me back on. Oh. I mean, after the first one here, I'm still out to be honest. It's awesome Great. to have you back. For those uh, who didn't see the first uh, the first interview, I believe it was episode 82. So this is in March of last year. I can't believe it's been a year already. Uh, but at that time, okay. we talked about Floriferous. And uh, I just reached out to you uh, earlier in the week saying, hey, I see you got another game. Let's uh, let's chat about it, Mall Peak, because I know For it's sure. a uh, it's a follow up to another game that you launched. For those people who don't know you, I'm wondering if you can kind of give us an overview of of some of the games that you've launched. I know this is your 14th Kickstarter campaign. I think you've got even more titles than that. Yeah, but can you give us kind of an bunch. overview of kind of some of the popular titles, things people might know you from? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's all under the Pencil First Games umbrella. It's the name of, of, of my company. And um, over the years, we've had uh, a few different categories. We talk about our nature games and our adventure games. Yeah. So on the nature game side, <clears throat> we're easily best known for Herbaceous, uh, which was designed by Steve Finn. And then with that partnership with Steve, We've made just a whole bunch of games in that in that in that zone. So we have herbaceous, foliferous, which you mentioned earlier, sensitive of water, the one not cabinet, um, all really easy to engage, beautiful um, sort of gateway weight type of games yeah. that play in in sort of a filler time frame, twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, that kind of thing. We also have the one hundred Tory, which was actually designed by Scott Caputo, but also sort of in that range. And um, soon we'll have Delicious, which will be another title, which is exciting. And then on the adventure side, we have some of our earlier titles, which people are probably less familiar with, like Lift Off, Get Me Off This Planet, or The Siblings' mm. Trouble, and um, Gem Pact. But um, more recently, the game that really took off uh, in the, sort of that side was Skull Hollow. And, and that's actually the game that's the original, the, that Mull Peak, which is live on Kickstarter now, is the sequel to. Uh, but Skull Hollow is a two-player asymmetric game where one player is playing as a gigantic guardian, a uh, gigantic beast monster, uh, and the other is playing as a band of fox and uh, characters. So it's like a one versus many asynchronous head-to-head two-player game, um, and that's that's on on the adventure side, the one we're we're best known for. But you know, we continue to try to make really high-quality, fun, beautiful titles. Yeah. Um, and and that's what we've been doing over over the year, and we do it through Kickstarter uh, typically. So, so with the 14th, this is your 14th campaign. How many games in total have you guys published then? Oh, gee. Uh, <laughs> I'm testing you. It's not, it's not, it's not too many more than that, but um, it's probably, if, 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 you know, probably 15 or 16. Uh, some yeah. of them are, you know, we did Herbaceous and then we do the Pocket Edition. Uh-huh. Um, so there've been some titles like that. There was an interesting one, Heroes Welcome, which uh, we published, but it was a partnership with Monkey Jump Games and Marco Blanc, who was the designer. So um, one of the things that's interesting about, I mean, Pencil First Games is, is, is pretty indie. Uh, as, as we were talking about earlier, I, I have a, a full-time job that's not um, in the video game industry. Um, and Pencil First Games is really um, collaborations I get to do with all sorts of different folks from, you know, 
different play experiences and fun and designers and artists. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it's really about making things that are fun, interesting and compelling, but not so much. Um, it's, it's still sort of a title by title. So we'll swing wide sometimes and do some weird things and yeah. sort of whatever we're up to. And um, Jessica Walker, who's fantastic, has also been helping me out a lot with, with, with the titles recently. But we have a, you know, it's sort of whatever is a fun and interesting opportunity to work with folks and make games. Yeah. It's, it's an awesome hobby. I mean, there's no, no doubt about it, right? Like it is, uh, it is the hobby to be in. I think if, uh, if you're passionate about creating and building uh, and then quite frankly, interacting with, with other people, I think that's, uh, it's awesome. So this kind of idea of kind of bucketing your games in categories, I find that kind of interesting. So is this something that you're, you've kind of mapped out going forward to say, we're going to have you know, these different kind of silos or these different kind of segments for games, or is it more free flowing than that? Or how have you kind of mapped that out going forward? Uh, I, that's a great question. And it, it, it's something that's definitely um, developed over time, but I think it was a natural, it, it's been a natural progression in that um, Herbaceous was an odd title. Uh, Herbaceous, very quickly, the story there was uh, Beth Sobel, fantastic artist, had actually made a bonanza reskin on bgg or something and she was sharing it on facebook which is like these herbs okay. these beautiful herbs yeah and i saw that at the time and i had done a couple of kickstarters at that point but i basically she was posting in some group and i reached out and i said hey is, is that from a game or what and she's like no it's this reskin and i was sort of said hey well what, what would you think if we made a game with it and she was like with new art i was like no herbs those things but like just an original game yeah. Um, and, 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 and she uh, was interested. And, and at first I was trying to actually just make a solitaire game um, for just to, like to play with a cup of tea. Yeah. And uh, I struggled. And that's actually when I connected with Steve, um, who I'd known from his, his Dr. Finn game stuff. Uh, and then he made it, re- he, 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 he nailed it like on the first try. And, um, you know, Herbaceous was really made for a market. It was made to be a game you could share with your parents, with your friends, like really all ages, really like easy to play, easy to learn. And, and really fantastic looking. Um, and I really enjoy that space. It isn't the space that like I as a designer like naturally rolled into, but it's certainly a space I'm really comfortable with. So after we did Herbaceous, we ended up doing more. I enjoyed working with Beth, working with Steve, um, other, other artists as well and designers. Um, but, you know, it's like games I like. I like being able to play a game in 20 minutes. I like being able to play a game yeah. with my mom. I like being able, and so, you know, when it's really fun to work on games you can you enjoy playing and, and you enjoy playing with other, like that really get the people, you know, what's great about making gateway games is it's this huge opportunity to bring games to tables that like, you don't have to find somebody who likes games. Like you can yeah. take Herbaceous as an example, Proliferous, and just start playing with anybody. Um, which is awesome if you want to have date nights or family nights or whatever. Yeah. And so that, that sort of those games like led down that track. And then on the other side, I just had these big, colorful, bright games with liftoff or gem pack or siblings trouble or whatever it's called call. It. And so they just started falling into their own category mm. uh, in, into the two categories. Then at the same time, you know, things get expensive. You're making lots of products. You want to be able to be more successful in stores and understanding that our brand was starting to be seen that way in particular on the herbaceous pretty side, I mean, pretty, but just that, that game, that nature side and, and trying to sort of lean into it. Um, Also the realization that like, we're, I like, you know, I think this is true for a lot of indie sort of 
I don't know how to how I say this in a humble way, but like companies that are driven by like a, a particular person, right, have yeah. the reflection of their skills. Yeah. And like what I'm really great at and I love doing is making games, right? And working with other people to make games. And so like I'm more inclined to make games than I am to like sit back and market existing games. And so like mm. um herbaceous is is in my opinion has like I don't know, 1% of the potential exposure it could have. Like the success space is huge for that title. Um, but like, I haven't been spending my time really like focusing on that. What I spend my time is making the next thing and making the next thing. So one of the conversations we've been having, and this is with Jessica, sort of like, well, if we're not going to sit down and really do a good job marketing our older titles. How can we just continue to make new titles, but make them speak to our older titles? Mm. And, oh, well, let's have a nature brand. And like when we promote one, let's promote one as part of the spread. And that sits and shows all the other games and keep them in the play, same play zone and then have pan flips inside of them that advertise the other ones. So sort of uh, using the making the tip of the spear of, of, of new uh, player engagement, also the tip of the marketing spear for the line, so to speak, yeah. this is the idea. Um, and so sort of tr- moving it to that regard as sort of a new development, if you will. But, um, you know, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but that, that it, they came out naturally, so to speak, but we're definitely leaning into them. Do you have like a licensing agent or anything? Cause to me that that's what that would speak to, right? It's like, okay, I I'm, I'm, I'm the creator. I love creating games. You know, that's what gets my juices flowing is coming out with the next big kind of game idea. Right. And going through that kind of whole Kickstarter process or crowdfunding process to, to get out the door but you still need somebody to work on the prior titles because there's still some gold to mine there. Right. So right. is that where a licensing agent might come into play uh, for you guys? Um, yeah. You know, it, it could. Uh, regional we, partners, we ha- for instance. Or, we, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we, we definitely have done and, and do localization deals and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, not, not so much so far as an agent, um, you know, and, and it's a mixed bag. I mean, uh, we've, we've definitely been on the localization side of international publishing. We've been approached by a number of agents and agents who've worked with partner, you know, companies we know. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the challenges is that, you know, the board game space has, and board game publishing has really tight and limited margins. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, Oh yeah, I know. You know, you cut, you're cutting in <laughs> when you're cutting in more and more folks, it becomes a challenge to continue to maintain that margin, especially when yeah. you have a high level of product quality um, and all of the rising costs from all the different angles. Um, so, you know, it's never felt right to me. Um, also, a lot of our earlier titles were pretty bootstrapped, which is fine, but, you know, don't have the the greatest, you know, uh, our, 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 we, we have lots of rev shares on those old things, which, you yeah. know, I don't, again, it, it's how we built the business. It just doesn't make it easy to give another person another cut of the rev um, and at yeah. some point. But um, yeah, we've, we've talked about that. I think right now, the biggest growth for Pencil First Games as a studio has been um, the amazing work that, that Jessica has been doing. And really that's sort of just starting to have another person take on our localization partnerships and our sales yeah. and, and retail. So, so she handles, she's our sales and operations manager, but she handles a lot of those pieces. And at, like, at some point we could probably say, Hey, let's get a person who's exclusive to doing that. But I don't know. I, you know, it also, I live in California. Um, 
and in the Bay Area. And the, 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 the gap between ho- hobby and job um, is, is substantial. As, oh, and, you live and, in like one of the most economical places on the planet to live. Right? Yeah, no, but so, so, and you know, I'm married, I have two kids. Yeah. And so the, 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 the level of growth that we'd have to have to be at a place where I'm like, oh, this is going to cover my bills is, yeah. is so large that, you know, we do our sort of OKRs or objectives and key results and look at what we're trying to accomplish each year in the overall sort of lifespan of the organization. And a lot of the aspirations of Pencil First Games is sort of like, hey, be in a place where we're able to continue to create and make fantastic games that people like that we, you know, that we enjoy making and be able to like have Jessica handle the things we need to do and, 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 you know, and, you know, not implode and, and all these things and manage through the stresses of, of, of cargo shipping and all that. Oh, yeah. um, it's not, it's not like we should triple in size or we should do more games or we should, you know, it's really uh, a title by title process. So like, I guess that's all to say aspirationally, it's not that it's not that big. Right. I think it was James Hudson that recently said, or maybe it was a couple months ago, I was watching one of his, um, uh, direct the camera conversations oh, he was having. On, hopefully uh, not the the rant one. That was it was a rant one, but still, oh, was it? it was great. And and you know the one thing he said in there that kind of resonated with me is he said, you know, most indie publishers, um, are like literally one campaign away from folding, right? Like right. it, like the margins are so slim, and the past two years have been so brutal, uh, for for independent uh, publishers that. I mean, it, it is very difficult to make a living at this, right? And like, so for instance, if, if you were to kind of advise somebody, if somebody came and you said, you know, how much would I need to raise in a Kickstarter to make it viable uh, as a living? Like, what would you say like minimum they would have to make on a Kickstarter campaign to be able to do that as just their job? You know, that's an interesting and complicated question. I think, I think like, uh, I, I would say don't quit your day job for a, <laughs> well, a course, Kickstarter yeah. in, in, in yeah. any manner. But it's because one, and this happened with, um, I remember the guy, what was his name? Oh, he did um, Montana and uh, Big Kid Games, right? Mm. Um, yeah. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but at some point, one of his campaigns was, his candy campaign was late. Um, and he was like providing his finances to folks and, and reporting it. And one of the things he did is he out, it's somewhere in there, it had like salary or payment for that for himself. Yeah right? Like living expenses or something. And like it all imploded when everyone was like, what? Your Kickstarter is not just paying for this product. It's also paying for you to like, you know, yeah. live. Um, and it's really interesting because... That's weird because it's not in- a charity, right? Like why would people well, be concerned about him making money? I mean, Hudson even talks about this in that same rant, right? Where he says, yeah. you know, of course you want the publishers to make money so they can make more games, right? If they're yeah. losing money, then they're, they're not going to keep is- making games, right? Yeah, I had a video about a similar topic, but the challenge is if I'm running a Kickstarter and I say, hey, uh, the, the person running the Kickstarter, like if you're the creator in Kickstarter running, the, you're, the amount of time you spend, like, I don't think people understand how much it dwarfs anyone else's time. Like other people could be working well, but like you're, you're working thousands of thousands of hours on top yeah. of, of it. And, but if I like told you what the Kickstarter funds were going to as a creator, I can say we're gonna we need to pay twenty thousand dollars for the art in the game, and we need to pay the the the, the cost of the manufacturing, and we need to pay the yeah. designer these rolly tips. But if I say, but I also want 
you know, part of this is we need to pay me for my time to do X, Y, and Z go forward. It, it's, that's actually, it's this odd breaking of Kickstarter trust culture, that, that concept that the creator wants to take away any money from it as part of the baseline for creating it is just this odd. Yeah. And I, I think it's how you position that. Right. And I know we're probably getting off. We're, we're going to hear game in a second too, but this is a great conversation. I love it. So, so like, and the reason I asked the question about like how much, right. Is because I think sometimes people look at campaigns and they think, you know, someone hits like, I look at your campaign, which is over six figures. Now they might say, wow, this guy's making bank, but you're not right. And I don't think people necessarily understand that, that the margins are so slim that you need to get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars consistently if this is something that somebody wanted to do uh, as a day job, right? The other thing is it's also not um, uh, board games have all their costs and margins, but there are physical goods. You have to manufacture them and you have to ship them, right? So for any way for that number to go up on a Kickstarter campaign means you need to produce more. So, you know, I would, I would imagine for most campaigns, yeah. even upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars, the walk away from that campaign is, um, you know, break even or negative. Yeah. I think most of the time, the, the equation that happens is, hey, like the, 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 the equation that starts adding money on the backside is, is sort of like, hey, this will all pay for this. And what it'll pay for is instead of printing just 3,000 copies or 4,000 copies or 5,000 copies, there's enough extra money in the campaign to print 10,000 copies. Yeah, and so the rest and fill everything. And then there's this other 5,000 that you'll sell. But that math also only works if you sell those 5,000 copies. If you don't sell them, it doesn't work either. And then you're sitting on a a bunch of cardboard. And if you're having to pay to store them, that's also a liability. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, I think, okay, to answer your question is, one, I, I, I don't think there is really any opportunity to cover any sort of extended life yeah. yeah, a Kickstarter isn't a business. A Kickstarter is a funding opportunity for a product. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's less, okay. It's less about how high the number is. It's how well you thought through the costs and yeah. the expenses of it. And again, with Foliferous, um, when I was doing the initial math on that project or whatever, you know, shipping that kind of product was probably two or $3,000, uh, which was manufactured in China. Yeah. Um, for the volume of it, or, 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 or three or four or five. By the time we went through COVID and, and the shipping crisis and all that stuff, you know, that, that $2,000, $3,000 turned into like $20,000. Yeah, that to me on Nutty Squirrels as well. It was like five times what we had actually, what the, what the quote was when we funded, by the time we were ready to ship, it was five times the cost. And we had yeah, to and, eat it. And, yeah, you have to eat yeah. it. Well, you don't, I mean, you, 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 you don't I technically mean, have to eat it, but yeah, I mean- but- it's it's not great going back to your back or yeah, saying I need more money. Right. And and for sure. And I think it's and and so there's an example. So especially now, yeah, you know, I just wouldn't I wouldn't take, you know, sometimes, you know, because you know, one of the 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 devils of for lack of a better term of Kickstarter is you get all the money immediately. Yeah. So, you know, Mr. Hudson funded his game. He's sitting on in a week nine hundred thousand, nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, for a brief moment in time, you got all this money, but the reality is you owe a lot of, uh, you gotta, you're, you're going to instantly be spending it and you're going to be spending it all the way down the wire and you don't know what's oh, yeah. come. So anyone who is run a Kickstarter is just like, put the money aside and don't act like it's yours. Mm-hmm. 
go through the entire and sorry we were talking about james you brought up james i'm not trying to suggest james would take any other action but my point is you want to set it aside until you've completely fulfilled and met the obligations of that kickstarter and then hey at the end of that maybe if there's anything left over yeah i mean back in the day it it, i i there were campaigns that actually generated a profit um not huge but like oh hey i mean for for most of the early days because now I have some games that are in reprint, which is a totally different thing. But in the early days, basically, I, you know, funded the first game, you know, with some help from uh, a, 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 co- a colleague. You know, maybe we rent, you know, five, ten thousand in. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the campaign, liftoff didn't make money. It ended up being underwater. But then the second campaign sort of made enough to make the next game. And sort of there was this bumping like ten or $15,000 that would be like campaign would fund, get delivered, and then, oh, it would be back. And then you'd spend it to work on the next game and then you'd go through it. And, oh, it would be back. It wasn't until Herbaceous uh, started getting uh, reprints. Um, and and it, like in many ways, Herbaceous was the game that stabilized Pencil First Games. And, you know, for a, for a scope and scale of magnitude, like I don't have the number in front of me, but let's say Herbaceous is sold twenty five thousand copies. Awesome number. That's not a huge number uh, over five years, but it's a fantastic number. That was enough. Just being able to, you know, when you look at it again, like a game, a, a, a massive market, mar- mass market game would be two and a half million copies. Yeah. Uh, a really big indie, you know, in board game game would be like two hundred thousand copies. So, you know. It, initial campaign was maybe two, three thousand. That's when I get to that one percent in the market. So I feel like if Herbaceous, I think, is a mass market title, has the opportunity to be a two million unit title, and it's only done twenty, twenty five thousand. But the point is, that little bit of money was enough to like continue to just give us a little bit more options, a little more gas in the tank, a little yeah. to make Skull Hollow look a little bit better, um, and you know, just start to make those decisions. And you know, I mean, unfortunately again, on living on it or not, you know, uh, rising costs and shipping and all that stuff, like whatever uh, extra lift that would have given, you know, the, the, the unexpected 20, 30, $40,000. Yeah. Um, even, even I thought we were sort of out of it. I thought we were sort of out of it. I did this amazing thing. I actually just shared a video on it. We looked at, we like did this great reprint run with all of our titles. I made sure it would fit in a certain cargo to like minimize the damage of all of this. Yeah. And Shanghai shut down. Again. Shanghai <laughs> shut down. No, no, nothing. My side, you know, no 20 feet, only 40 feet. And Oh, guess what? Now it's 30, 35, 40,000. Like it's, it is frustrating. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So I, let me give you two final thoughts on this one. Cause I do want to sure. get to mall peak. In a sure, second. Sure. So the, the, the thing you said earlier on, I think is important to note is that you're, it's never advisable to build a salary into a campaign. It's better to build cushion in your campaign to cover off unforeseen costs. And if you get lucky enough to manage that campaign effectively, then that cushion can be put into marketing for another campaign, or maybe it could result in, in minor profits or allow you to buy you know, a bigger print run and you can use that larger print run to, to manufacture a copy. So I, I want to leave that point because I think that's important to note, right? And, and I don't want to mislead people to think that all these game creators out there are building, you know, huge profits into their games because they're not. And that's the point I was trying to make. Um, the, the, the second thing is that um, it, it is so um, tumultuous, the, this environment, that 
if you don't build in any type of a cushion, you could be in for a lot of hurt. Right. And when you, when you made your point of, you know, take like a large campaign, like the James had done, for instance, and, you know, Kickstarter sends you your money and you're like, for like 30 seconds, you're like, yay, I got all this money. And then boom, you know, 15, 20% to tax man, uh, you know, the freight cargo guys who are actually shipping the games or, or, you know, from China to North America and to different distribution, they take their mouth. By the time it's all said and done, there's not a lot left over. Hopefully there's enough that you can at least get a, you know, as you're saying, a little fuel in the tank to start that next campaign. And hopefully over time, these things snowball and you get a large enough portfolio that on scale there, there's, there's a business there. Right. But anyway, let's jump into mall peak because sure. this is a really cool game. Um, talk to us and I'm sharing the screen for people that are, that are watching the actual either on Instagram live or on YouTube. But one thing you were definitely known for is artwork, uh, in your games, you know, whether the nature-based ones, um, you know, I, I love the, the photography that's been done in a lot of your kind of, um, glamour shots, but just the artwork itself. And this one is no different, uh, but definitely kind of a different style, obviously the nature. Sure, sure. You have this kind of two player game, which is, um, an extension or I guess a sequel, uh, is that, is that fair to say it's a sequel to the, the one that came before this? Yeah. Yeah. In, in particular, um, Skull it's a sequel. Yeah. Skull, uh, Skull Call was the original title. Yeah. Um, and this is a, a standalone sequel that's fully cross compatible. So basically if you just back and, and, and look for a copy of mall peak, you can play mall peak head to head and get as much, in my opinion, gameplay, if not probably a little bit more gameplay in, in mall peak, then when, folks got and, and love Skull Call. So it's like full equal weight. If you put the box next to each other, you'll get the Guardian Count and the, and, and the, the Grizzard versus the Fox and all. They're all different, but there's the same sort of weight of content in there. And then but what you can do is, so it's two player asymmetric. One has foxes, the other has bears, and they all have these, these different guardians, which mm-hmm. are on the page if you're seeing that. Um, think of like Shadow of the Colossus. Um, you can you can mix and match them. So you can take the old guardians versus the new the 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 bears or you, or the grizzer, or you can take the the new guardians go versus the foxen. Uh, the other super neat thing we did, uh, which was is a little bit crazy, but it came out well. But it's crazy is you can also mix them together and play like a three or four player version of the game where you're yeah, I saw that. going cool. yeah you know the the, the, the Grizzer and the Foxen versus two guardians at the same time on the small board. It's, 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 it's like the smash brothers version of it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, so it, it, it ultimately we, we didn't just want to do expansion packs. We wanted to stand on its own as a product, but it really sits and works really well with the original. And then these, um, uh, there's two things that really stood to me. One is the meeples. I mean, the meeples are fantastic, right? So awesome. I think you even had like a credit in there of like someone who's actually in charge of just designing the meeples. But yeah, yeah, Helen. Yeah, yeah. They are super cool. And so this is it like an abominable snowman? This this kind of snow creature. Oh, guy? Suboso, Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so one of the things that we did with Skulk uh, Mall Peak was we went into the the wintry mountainous snow biome, yeah, right? Yeah. Like it's very it's video cool. game in that kind of way. Um, and actually. The first guardian we did was Veblen, who's the giant spider, uh, the crystalline spider. That was who we um, originally had sort of earmarked. We'd wanted to make in the original game and then made made it here. Mm-hmm. But then we wanted to have like a really big lumbering um, monster, sort of in the vein of, of Grack, who's like the starting um, monster and guardian in, in Skull Hollow. 
And Keith Mateka, who is uh, the designer um, from Thunderworks Games, role player, flipping amazing uh, uh, designer and guy, he, uh, we were working on it, he was talking about it, and he went down this track with Saboso, who has this giant uh, cell in his, its chest. And as you're fighting the Grizzer, you can stun them and freeze them and, and, and pick them up and like remove them from the game. So there's this like lumbering giant beast sort of inspired by like a combination of abominable snowman, you know, uh, the, the abomination from uh, wow, maybe uh, a little marshmallow from frozen, whatever, whatever you're working on, but just this giant monstrous um, snowman. Um, Justin Faust, the artist, uh, mm-hmm. the illustrator, who's amazing here. The cool thing about this game is how, he, t- he takes this sort of cartoon Disney-esque vibe, but like ratchets it up, like even like, like their secret of Nim, but even further into this sort of like monstrous grotesque thing, but it's still, it's still bright and colorful too. So it's this really like scary, but also not so scary zone um, mm-hmm. that I think really works for the games. It's super cool looking. Uh, you've hit, uh, I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars because it always sounds bigger and it's the only way I can see it. Uh, you hit roughly almost 124,000 on oh, uh, 25,000. Yeah. $25,000 goal. Uh, hundred, uh, sorry, 1,910 backers. So congrats on that. Still six days Thank to you. go. You get the back end hockey stick, obviously. Um, so I'm sure you guys are gonna be very, very happy where this campaign lands. Um, what I thought was kind of cool when I was looking at the pledge levels is the number of people that were that backed at the level where they got the original Skull Callow as well as uh, Mulpeak. So they got both, right? Uh, so I, I think it's kind of cool that you're seeing a number of people that are you're carrying over, right, from from prior uh, pledges on on your other campaign. But you've got new people you're bringing into the franchise as well that, that are saying, you know, maybe missed out on that first campaign. Now they got a chance to get the the original plus uh, plus the second. Yeah, it, it, it's it's. I mean, you know, I suspected that we would have some folks, but certainly there's been a, a large group that have yeah. um, uh, dug into that that pledge level, which has been great. Also, at the same time, you know, it's not like you can't get Skull Callow. It's a real game. Uh, so we've we've also seen more people engaging with Skull Skull Call off the Kickstarter, um, which is awesome as well. Yeah. Um, you know, part of it is one of the extra things we did. So there's a sort of like a Kickstarter mini expansion uh, on the original, which you can get if you back through it, though. It's also, again, it's not at retail, but you can go to our website to get it. But then we have another one for Mall Peak. But then we did this really, um, I think, fairly novel thing, um, which is uh, we have this Ruins and Ruins. It's this single player adventure that sits between the two games. And actually it's a separate box. Um, and it's actually a, a, a deck of cards with like scratch off cards, like like if you like lottery tickets. And okay, it's, yep. yeah, it's like this adventure of uh, this Arctic Fox that's traveling between Skull Hollow and Mall Peak. And you're sort of, it's it's like a, you know, not legacy, but it's a scratch off game, like a choose your own adventure where you're getting different stats and um, you're making a, a, a original, specific character and then when you get all the way through you can use that box uh in either of the games um with a special rule set and so this it's this really neat connector between the two yeah. um that really came out well so it, it's a, it, i think it's you know it's a cool value add um on the campaign and that's so, just included like you guys are throwing that in 
Yeah, you know, yeah, it's just included. Uh, we'll, oh, cool. uh, it, it'll be for sale, uh, for sale afterwards, but it, it, it sort of served two purposes, interestingly. One was a bunch of people always wanted want solo modes, and actually Pencil First Games has a pretty good track record of, of fantastic solo modes yeah. in all of our other titles, including by Keith Mateka, who's the designer of this one. But right. like, you know, Mall Peak and Skull Hall have always been like unabashedly two-player direct head-to-head games, but also we like went through this big dive into different solo experiences within the titles and a solo guardian and bouncing around. It's like, well, if, if you're going to make a cool guardian, why don't you make them um, good for, for multiplayer? And then, Oh, if you, if you really want to do the soul guardians, well, you have, you'd want to make original soul experiences for all the guardians. And then, Oh, actually let's make a more of a, like a, a tower defense soul experience, but then that's like its own game. And so we are going around and round and we wanted to do something, and that's why the idea of like sort of how could we create a narrative experience. And actually, um, Alara and uh, Eric Slauson did the the design with Seth um, Johnson doing oh, some of the narrative work, and we just sort of built out this sort of crafty, fun narrative experience. Um, but like, we didn't want to sell. You know, it's like you didn't want to sell it because it's sort of like like not like within the campaign, it'd be like selling a solo mode and then you're suddenly making it sound like you're going to get solo within the game. And we didn't want to yeah. do that. Like, and so when you think about it, or at least when we thought about it, it's, it's, if you, if you think about marketing and things you can do to spend money on your campaign to, to do it bigger rather than, because we don't actually spend a whole lot on marketing, um, like ad, you know, ad marketing, campaign marketing, um, Rather than like doing all that spend, we, we, we instead put the money towards making something novel and fun and neat that mm-hmm. everyone gets. So it's like, instead of spending money in marketing, we're just going to give you more stuff that you can enjoy uh, and, you know, so let people know about it. Um, and then, you know, we will make it available on our site and sell it and stuff afterwards. Um, but it was just a neat, fun little product. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that people like it as much as we do. And then maybe if we make a third game, we can link to the other ones and, 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 and keep it going a little bit. Well, clearly the strategy is working. Uh, if there's people that want to follow along on this campaign, I am putting a link uh, directly in the show notes that you can click on, or you can uh, go to Kickstarter and simply do a search for Mall Peak. You'll find it there or Pencil First Games. Quite frankly, you'll find the entire portfolio. Yeah. Thank you so if much. They want to check out your website. I believe it's pencilfirstgames.com too, right? Yep, that's it. And yeah. you know that is a, a, a pretty colorful page and it will show you all those products pretty quickly. Yeah, links to everything. Eduardo, it is always awesome having you on the podcast. I always enjoy our conversations. I want to thank you so much. I want to wish you all the best with this campaign. Can't wait to see where it lands. And I wish you and your team all the best this coming year. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers, man. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.